When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our Patreon supporters, this is your extended ad-free version of the show. And thank you to patrons, including including Peter Syme, Brian Creevy, who increased his pledge uh, this week. Thanks, Brian. As well as Alistair Mitchell, who also moved up a level. They're supporting us directly, and you can join them and get access to our full-length ad-free show and our Patreon-exclusive weekly sister show, Extra Message, by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Ian, I decided that there was no tech angle that we could possibly discuss about uh, some of the storms that we've had recently, which is a shame because as Brits, we love to talk about the weather, but we can't. Well, some people haven't got power. I expect some people haven't got internet. And those people won't be able to download a podcast. So what is the point? Instead, we are going to start talking about the biggest annual mobile tech show again, Mobile World Congress, because it was cancelled this week, the first time in its more than 30-year history. More than 100,000 people had been due to attend the conference next week, yours truly included. But the organiser, the GSMA, pulled the plug over fears of the potential spread of the coronavirus and the pulling out of legions of the show's biggest exhibitors. Now, I actually broke the news this week, uh, this news at Bloomberg, which uh, is probably a story in itself for another day, as that took quite some doing. Um, And I had another story afterwards after talking to the director general of the GSMA, who said that attendees and companies should expect to have to absorb some of the costs, uh, if not all of their costs, for not going to the show this week. Uh, I'm going to include links to both of my uh, my stories in the show notes at uktechshow.com and in the mp3 description of this episode now john hoffman who is the chief executive officer of the gsma said in a statement on wednesday night that the global concern regarding the coronavirus outbreak as well as travel concern and other circumstances made it impossible impossible to hold the event Now, from a consumer perspective, the lack of a show this year means a bunch of product launches will be delayed. We were expecting stuff from Huawei and Sony, for example, and some smaller but interesting brands still like Nokia phone maker HMD. We know it had some things to show off as well. Uh, There are a lot of angles that we could unpick here. So that's a slightly mixed metaphor there. Uh, There are a lot of threads to unpick. There are a lot of angles to explore. The lack of a show means a lack of many product announcements. But we've we've also seen a huge number of exhibitors say they'll either announce things on their own via live streams or via separate events. There there is an argument to suggest that this actually could be the end of a of trade shows if everyone's like oh actually doesn't really matter i didn't have to spend four days away and it didn't cost my company three thousand pounds and uh, we still got all the news stories well if only it did cost just three thousand pounds i mean i i spoke to a company this week kind of a, a mid-sized company about 250 employees something like that and they were due to send about 40 or 50 people they have a booth that costs about I'm trying to think of the number he said now, about 750,000 euros. So best part of a million dollars, about three quarters of a million pounds. Um, That is expected to just be a write-off. 
they won't be able to get that that back. No, they will be insured though, won't they? If it had been declared a health emergency, then it's quite possible that it would have that the whole cancellation itself would have fallen into a different uh, category of insurance and and could have been claimed against. But I think one of the ironies that we noticed last week is that the uh, the the government out there had said that there was not a substantial enough risk of the coronavirus MWC to declare it an emergency. And I sort of feel that if they'd have made that assessment a week earlier, prior to all the big exhibitors pulling out, maybe they would have concluded something else. But there probably realistically isn't as much of a health risk when everyone said they weren't going anyway. So do you think that this was, um, do you think it was the companies led this rather than GSMA? I think it it, it was uh, very large straws that broke an increasingly fragile, uh, fragile, Camel. There's an irony, isn't there, that that it's a telecom show that still needs a hundred thousand person annual event. You, you would sort of think that this is almost exactly the kind of event that should be able to exist virtually or in more disparate locations on a more frequent basis. And actually, it calls into question whether this specific show is needed, um, where other conferences still would need uh, something of this scale to pull an industry together i think you make a good point for a start um phones are small they could be sent anywhere uh you could have you could have this trade show moving around you know different countries in europe or you know like not not even a trade show just have like pe- you know a, a, a company people go to see a company and they see the phones like samsung does it um, or even how how the pre-briefs tend to work for big companies like Sony, where you you go along and all the UK journalists will get to see the product before they fly out to Mobile Congress. It's one thing ticked off the list. It means you don't have to uh, worry about seeing it at the show. Um, you know, but actually, if you just want to hold a phone, and it is mostly phones, then you probably don't. It's not like you know LG where they're taking twenty TVs and they're big, and it makes sense to have everyone just come and look at them on a booth. Well, I'll tell you that actually. Quite a few pre-briefs were cancelled. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name names, but there was a number of companies that I was due to see ahead of MWC to see what they were going to show off at the show, and those events were cancelled. Some of them are, were, were upcoming. A couple of them are still scheduled to take place this week, so I'll have an interesting update on that probably next weekend, depending on how many of those, if any, still go ahead. But even the pre-briefs were cancelled. So the fact that they could have shown the media that they wanted to show still and could have had those stories go out editorially, that was still on the table. That was still an option. But the fact that they weren't going to have an event that they could show off en masse and in their own space, that was still deemed like if that's not going ahead, then then nothing is. Well, why do you think that was? That was that health concerns too. Was that people from Korea, Japan, uh, other countries not being prepared to travel or not or not wanting to travel, uh, or do you think it was just the fact they thought, well, we might as well keep our powder dry and we can announce this in a big event some some other time? From what I understand, it's really a case of if if the big flagship event where all the people are going to be at isn't going ahead, then what's the point in fragmenting a launch? You want everything to land all at once and make a big splash. That makes absolutely no sense at all to me, I'm afraid, because it's already difficult enough for companies to get their products out amongst all the noise. I would have thought they would have jumped at the chance to pick their own time in the next three months and, you know get all the journalists in one place and settle them down and show them things and then get some guaranteed coverage. I Well bear in mind it's not just about it's not just about journalists. This is also where 
phone networks and 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 uh, and other buyers will will see it for the first time and a lot of companies still do their conferences remotely i mean samsung is is, is a classic case but for a, a company like samsung it is so big and it can generate so much media on its own it doesn't need mwc and john in the chat room uh, listening live with us right now asks if they could do something like a nintendo direct where it's broadcast from an event or from an office and they show things off and that's basically what they what they do they could even have stuck to the press conference schedule if they wanted to like if if huawei was on at 10 o'clock on monday morning they could have said well right our our presentation will be then uh you can stream it on live online etc most of the press conferences that were due to take place at mwc were on the on the sunday so again we may see some live streams or activity happen next weekend but as of right now it does look like most companies are are just not bothering and they're they're coming up with a, a backup plan we don't want to go into too much more detail on this as we we run the risk of the show turning into a very business to business focused <laughs> uh show maximum over business what we are going to do or rather what i'm going to do uh this week is is put together an extra message episode about what these trade shows offer to to journalists how do we run them what is the relationship between pre-briefs and events does it matter how does it change what we how we do our jobs that's going to go out on the uh, on the patreon feed later in the week so do look out for that but in the meantime there are many other conferences taking place or not taking place and you may have thoughts on those if you do or if you have any questions about what it's like being at somewhere like mwc or anything else do send them in hello at uktechshow.com Ofcom will be put in charge of regulating the internet, Ian, the government has announced, with executives at internet firms potentially facing substantial fines or even prison sentences if they fail to protect users from harmful and illegal content online. This ranges from terrorism, violence and hate speech, through to child exploitation, cyberbullying, self-harm, disinformation, suicide, age-inappropriate material things like that. This is all per The Guardian's write-up of the story earlier this week, which we'll have a link to in the show notes, of course. The paper said that under these proposals, Ofcom will not have the power to remove specific posts from social media platforms, though. Instead, it's going to require internet companies, such as obviously the Facebooks and the Googles and Twitters and such, publish explicit statements setting out which content and behaviour they deem to be acceptable on their sites. The media regulator, that is Ofcom, of course, for those not currently aware, uh, will then ensure internet businesses enforce these standards consistently and transparently. Home Secretary Priti Patel and the Culture Secretary at the time, Nikki Morgan, who has since stepped back from her position to make Boris Johnson's government even more predominantly full of white men and with privately educated backgrounds, uh, promised that changes to the proposals would guarantee free speech for online adults uh, and only target larger internet businesses. Shall we go through what was proposed in the white paper, Ian, in a little bit, yes, in a little bit more detail? Okay, here we go. Um, this, it's going to target any business that enables the sharing of user-generated content 
uh, they're they're going to be likely to be affected at least by the, the by the rules on reducing online harms. Uh, the Guardian write-up I, I saw said that hundreds of thousands of British companies alone could be affected. Internet businesses will also be required to publish annual transparency reports explaining what harmful content they have removed and how they are meeting their standards. And the government wants companies to bring back age verification for certain websites following an abandoned attempt to introduce it uh. last year and this is to restrict access to online pornography the uh, the, the anti statements as i've unequivocally decided to call them um that i've chosen to read out come from big brother watch we had some good tweets from the uh, the rights group this week and it said that this is going to be a disaster for privacy and free speech online the duty of care regulation proposed gives social media companies legal responsibility to prevent psychological harm which it says is undefined arising from online chats between members of the public and it said the result will be social media companies having to police private conversations uh let's see what else did they say they had quite a few tweets uh this week uh, it says it subjects lawful speech online to state-sponsored censorship imposed by an unelected regulator this directly undermines the right to free expression um so th- there's a lot more that big brother watch said i don't want to give undue prominence to one particular group but we'll include all the links to these stories and uh and and the, and the comments against the news in the show notes uktechshow.com ian do you not think there's an argument that somebody has to do it and Ofcom is already a massive regulator and therefore it makes the most sense for it to be the one to be in charge? I want very much to consider this in the context of the national press in the UK, which is one of the most ferocious and unpleasant presses in, I think, probably in the, in the free world. Um, we've all, we've always talked a lot about, you know, regulating... Um, the internet because people see it as some kind of demon i don't know why um and of, of course there are definitely problems with the internet that could well do with being restricted i mean it it is possible for someone to go online and say anything and for that to be taken as seriously as someone who has a uh, you know spent time and effort researching something making a, a genuine case for it based on scientific research i mean you're a journalist you know this uh you know there is a, so much diligence that goes into what you do and then I've been in positions at at places where it's really just about writing something as quickly as possible and the the actual facts are almost an irrelevance if you will it's about page views and uh, serving ads to people which is a stupid business model and uh, I mean well we've got a free internet that's the problem someone has to pay for it and the economics of it don't really work out but you look at you know I mean we've just had a a, you know someone else uh, TV presenters just uh, opted to end their own life over po- probably attacks on social media. Uh, something needs to happen. But again, those are those attacks don't just come from people on social media. They, they're a direct result of what the national press says and does. Um, and there's a, so much stuff that I just don't know how you'd ever successfully regulate it. There are so many different places to go. There are so many ways, unless we're going to have people... Uh, forced to have social media accounts in their own name and um, if uh, you know online publications are going to have to be traceable to where they're coming from where they're funded all that kind of stuff but none of that matches with how traditional media works 
Um, and it, it feels like the internet gets this sort of uh, the, the focus of this attention as if it's the worst thing out there. And, I've, you know, obviously there's plenty of bits of the internet that are despicable and, and should almost certainly be not there. But again, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a an open uninterrupted internet if you're going to sort of tell some people what they can't do and I think about this all the time because obviously I am a big you know I despise the certain aspects of Twitter you know certain people like Katie Hopkins I, you know I, I can't see why they're allowed on that platform and then I and then I'm, I flip that the other way and I think about the, th- the you know the other causes where I'm like oh yeah these people should definitely be able to say this but why does anyone get to say anything um, and why, you know, how how is that controlled and how do we make uh, that somehow better for the public? Um, it's a mess. Well, it is a mess. Well, my thought on this and this will the devil will always for something like this be in the detail is the difference between a public exchange on a publicly accessible platform and a private exchange between just two people on a publicly accessible platform. So, for example, I think that there could be a there is a big difference if I, I i'll say this i think there is a big difference between messages posted that are designed to spread be seen by as many people as possible and to amplify an opinion versus a private conversation that is akin to a text message or something like that because bullying on or let's just take bullying as one example bullying in a public forum is potentially far more damaging I think, than bullying that's just one-to-one, purely if you think about the ability to just block a single person. Whereas if that is all been public, it doesn't matter if you block the originator. If, if, if other people are chiming in and retweeting or reposting stuff, then no amount of blocking is going to stop that filtering um, to the person that it's intended to harm. And you could probably argue that if these filters were put in place and this duty of care was put in place to prevent that public spreading of content, maybe there's an argument for that um, to be a little bit closer to what is being proposed here. Whereas if it was to target private messages between two people, a different set of policies and principles probably need to be in in, in uh, sort of enacted. But you don't go to Ofcom if somebody texts you something abusive. You tend to go to the police or or another yeah. body like that and and the police is not then saying well it is it is the the duty of ee or vodafone to to block that in the same way that that it would potentially under these proposed rules be yes. in twitter's interest to block it if it was done in public i don't know if that is i hope i've made that that clear well, you have because also what you've what you've the point you've raised, which I think is an important one, is that this will affect companies like EE, Vodafone, etc., and it, it will affect companies like Twitter and Facebook. In fact, there'll be very few companies that it won't affect in some way. Uh, you know, for example, but again, I, do, I I feel like that the that there are already plenty of laws that protect people if they choose to use them. So, for example, if you were to go on Twitter and say you were to be the some for some reason would be the the focus of some sort of backlash of some kind um you know you have options if, if people are threatening you or making you feel unsafe then you absolutely can report that to the police and i believe that the police should be empowered to uh investigate that in fact i think you could argue that they're they're in rather than you know spending vast sums of money uh giving ofcom the power to do this perhaps the answer is to invest somewhat in the police 
in making it possible for them to uh, deal with these things as and when they come up. I think that there's regulation to me suggests uh, a framework under which everyone operates. So, uh, you know, for example, the the rules for TV and uh, broadcast are very different to the rules for newspapers. Newspapers can still, for some reason, say pretty much what they want. There isn't a huge burden of truth placed on them. And they have repeatedly refused to sign up for a universal code of conduct. And for some reason, that's okay, and we don't force them to do it. However, broadcasters are... Uh, controlled under Ofcom, and if if they if they breach rules, then they will be subject to uh, you know uh, censure or other perhaps f- uh, fiscal uh, p- penalties for so doing. So I th- I think the the problem here is that it's just a there's it's just a gigantic mess, um, and this feels like it doesn't feel very focused particularly. It's another one of these sort of policies to me that feels like that we're all aware there is a problem and it's good publicity for your political party if you can say well we're going to do something about this but the actual reality of it is you know twitter will already remove posts if they're deemed offensive sometimes it will get that decision quite wrong uh, in my view or in, i think in anyone's view um and if it really just depends on what side of the argument you're on really if you know if you happen to be a, a fan of the things that katie hopkins says on twitter then you would argue that she has as much right to say that as anything of course these are private companies and they can do what they want uh, there isn't really any sort of public social media is there so perhaps i don't know i have to push back on something you said about yeah, uh, sure. journalists a little bit because I, I I think that while we are journalists are able to say a, a great deal about what they want, there are still massive repercussions. Almost specifically in the UK, if you're if you are wrong, because we have a we have extremely strict libel laws where the burden of proof is on us if we get accused of libel, and secondly, although we don't have a blanket uh, code of conduct that every single person has to abide to most publications will have either their own or a variant of an existing one and there are unions so like the the national union of journalists of which i'm not a member but i know a lot of people who are they have a code of conduct as well where if you sign up as to be part of that union there is a code of conduct that's been around for decades i think that that you have to adhere to um which you know basically says you have to be accurate and fair and unbiased and sure so forth. Yes, but how? Well, I mean, I, off, just off the head, I, I don't know how you. I don't know how you would ever prove that to be a, a point. I mean, we've all probably written things that w- maybe weren't as um, as as fair as they could be, uh, because individual bias will always be an issue. But also, what my point wasn't really. I mean, I think when you talk about libel laws, you're absolutely right, of course. But when you're talking about a newspaper writing something about someone, a normal member of the public that may or may not be true, uh, those people can't afford uh, libel cases. They're enormously expensive. That's no sort of recourse at all. Uh, And you'll see it all the time with the tabloids. Uh, They can write what they want and they know they shouldn't be doing it. But ultimately, they if they get forced to write an apology, that apology will be much smaller and more hidden somewhere in the paper and no one will see it if you write a a, a front page headline about somebody that you know something that may or may not be true uh, and then it you know or something that isn't true for example then you get hauled through the courts if they can somehow afford to do that uh, then the apology is going to be insignificant in in uh, in return for that well, i think my, my point was more that there are there are different kinds of sort of journalists there are a lot of um we've we've got everything has gone more towards just saying what everyone else has said there was a very good example of that 
in that did you, you saw this story about Bill Gates apparently having bought this hydrogen yacht thing. I did. Right? I did. Okay, well, that story is not true. Yet, it was copied from an original source in the Telegraph into every online paper or every online publication and a, a bunch of print papers without a single person checking it, except for the BBC journalist who did and said they called the company and the company went, this is just simply not true. Um, you know, that that is... That there is, but we have accepted that that this is part of modern n- online journalism. I mean, it's also hit the print as well. But um, it, there isn't the rigor going into this. There's so much stuff being written, so much content being created that there isn't. Unless you're, uh, people could complain about that. But who's going to take the time to complain about the Telegraph writing a story about Bill Bill Gates buying a yacht company or a yacht or whatever it was? Uh, no one's going to be bothered, are they? It just it just doesn't matter, and that means that. You know, the, the, but the process that happened in the background is still wrong. There is still someone who's somehow written a story based on completely incorrect information and they haven't checked. Uh, and, that you know, that's far more of a concern to me, really, than most of the other things. If I sum- can summarise your, your, your point, is that we that regulation is ineffective in the press and therefore having the uh, a body that is in charge of regulating that also overseeing social media companies will by default be no more effective in that space is that fair i think that is fair yeah i mean obviously the the regulators are different for all of them i mean ofcom doesn't monitor the print media so it's i think that is a really important distinction to make because it is largely newspapers that are responsible for the kind of things that they say that are similar to what happens on social media where people start ganging up on people it's this you know this culture of just everyone wanting to have a go at someone they don't agree with all the time pangolin sandwich raids raises an interesting question in the chat which is what if your uh, what if your income is coming from social media i suppose if you're being a dick on instagram and that's and you and you get more money the more of a dick you are then yeah. this will probably negatively impact you and you probably deserve to have it ne- negatively impacted, I suppose. Because there's so much to this. It's very, very difficult to pick it down. You, I think you need to take specific stories. Um, you, what you get, uh, particularly social media, I mean, the, obviously there are different ways that people make money out of social media. A lot of that is influencers who will promote specific products. Now, in again, w- the problem we've got here is the internet is a global product. So... Uh, we expect that the influencers in our feed will be um, obeying some rules, and that's probably true. That you know the American influencers will be tied to American rules, and the British ones to British rules. But that doesn't matter because if I'm on Instagram following influencers, I'm not probably following people based on the country they live in. I'm following them based on them having interests similar to mine or stuff that I'm, you know, interested in. Um, I, again, th- uh, this is. I, it, it's because it's so hard to regulate this in a meaningful way. I, I think uh, what Pangolin Sandwich was sort of driving at was the idea that why should someone be driven off social media because of bullies when that's their living? And I, I completely agree with that. Um, I think if if that was the case, then I think you'd have to be pragmatic about it in your head and you'd have to think, well, I'm a, I'm a broadcaster, not a someone who reads all the comments. Now, I know obviously a lot of business on Instagram will rely on people having interactions with their followers. Um, but I think if you, were, if, you, if you were finding it a challenge, then there would probably be ways you could mitigate that in, you know, and not spend time reading the comments and just do posting and do the best job you can do and make money out of it that way. I admit that that's not ideal. And, I, you know, I mean, 
for God's sakes, why are we having to have this conversation, the same conversation I have with my, uh, you know, my children about being nice to each other? Like, why are we having to have this conversation with grown adults? Why is it difficult for people to see that the things that you say online are not different to the things that you would say in public? And you wouldn't say those things to people if you was next to them in the street. You'd probably be fake and nice and, you know, and yeah. Anyway, people should be able to live their lives and not feel like everything they say is being scrutinised and and everyone is on the edge of their seat, aren't they? There's Every influencer is becoming asinine because they're all forced to not offend people. Because if they offend someone, then they're going to get hounded off the platform and that's their, their living gone. It's The whole thing is making society dumber and boring and, you know, just it's not worth it. I, I look at some influencers and I'm like pictures of perfectly curated pictures of food i'm like i'm just what is this even about it's it's boring no one's saying anything they're just existing in a in a curated world which is making everyone else's mental health much worse because they're seeing these you know people who they hold a you know who who they think are amazing and they're seeing this wonderful world and they're like why is my world why is my life not like that you know what why why am i unhappy and that probably makes them more mean online the world exists under clouds that rain nothing but a shower of bastards i think that is the conclusion isn't it ian yes all right you're used to hearing the smooth velvet sound of nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an ian morris opinion supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash uk tech Enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Let's jump into the mailbag this week. Uh, We had a couple of things. Both of these actually came in based on the extra message that I ran last week for patrons about my journey to try and quit WhatsApp and my inability to do so because of how much I rely on it professionally more than personally. We had a couple of interesting thoughts. One came in from Matt Cotton, who said, I would like to leave WhatsApp as well, but many of my friends use it. The trouble with wanting to move to iMessage is that it's Apple only. And it's a very good point. And it's one of the reasons I just really wish Apple would release an iMessage app for Android. I agree. I think that's just nuts. It's a great service and it would work very nicely cross-platform, but it's, it's not. And that makes it never a viable replacement to anything like WhatsApp. Uh, but we also had another fee- bit of feedback from Rafael Munoz, who says, uh, one little funny thing is when I was talking to somebody about me not using WhatsApp, they asked me how I could even live without it and how could I send messages. I just told him that SMS still exists and many other systems work much better. It seems that some people are so absorbed in the WhatsApp ecosystem that they don't even consider or they don't even remember that other systems still work and are available. And I think that's a good point because WhatsApp has become ubiquitous. Yeah, but SMS is just such a dr- rag these days isn't it yeah and it's certainly not secure it's not a secure way to to 
communicate in any sense of the word but um but it's a it's a good point it is still there as a fallback um so thank you to everyone who's emailed in um we had a very extended chat on the patreon version of this week's show about the uh, move for the bbc to be told it must scrap the license fee and we've talked at length about the comparisons to the netflix model the subscription model uh whether the B- bbc could be internationally competitive if it had a, a subscription ian had i think probably one of your most memorable rants in recent history if not even <laughs> in not recent history <laughs> it was uh, informed and vitriolic Yes, I mean, I, th- I feel like I've been fighting this argument for a long time and, I, and I, I feel like I'm as close as I've ever been to losing it um, because ultimately I think we've reached a point in society where people don't care about facts anymore and they're just interested in how the world can be better configured to suit their needs. You're entitled to your opinion. That is the, <laughs> that is the reason we have the show. Uh, but that uh, is now out now on patreon.com forward slash UK tech. You can get that. I mean, frankly, you can sign up, pledge, listen to it and then cancel. It won't cost you a penny. Uh, I hope you don't. But technically you can. Uh, if you want to give it a try, that's uh, one of the things out there as well as uh, extra message, which we've got a great one coming up this week, too. Um, but other excellent sources of information comes from dailytechnewsshow.com. And we're going to hear from Tom Merritt right about now about what's been going on on his show for you to enjoy this week. This week on Daily Tech News Show, why Apple should listen to Taika Waititi when he's complaining about their keyboards. We break down the new Galaxy S20, Galaxy Z Flip, and Galaxy Buds announcements. What's really going on behind Activision Blizzard pulling out of the NVIDIA GeForce Now platform? Hint, maybe Google? A 3D printer that makes super precise objects in tens of seconds without layering. And we compare Teams to Slack. All that and much more. DailyTechNewsShow.com Thank you, Tom. And thank you again to our patrons and people listening live I've had some great input this week uh, from kv who's listening live pangolin sandwich john edwards we had richard taylor earlier al struthers of course it's uh, it's always good fun to have you guys um ian it's a shame that you're not here in person so i can't smell i can't smell you i can't hold you i can't caress you while you rant and and you know i have done that before in person uh, i believe at some point yeah absolutely well, you definitely smelt me uh, i smell you frequently um <laughs> You're, you're delightful. I smell of lavender today because I sprayed oh, some nice. lavender oil on me when I got up this morning. Good for sleep, isn't it? Relaxes you. It's actually what it was. It was it's a pillow spray. It's a lavender pillow spray. But I, I sprayed it on myself this morning because the dog had farted. And <laughs> I, I wanted something to cover that up. And lavender oh, worked quite well. I yeah. love your dog. And your yeah. cat. And I, 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 we did have a wonderful exchange, didn't we, uh, uh, during the week of uh, you reviewing... Uh, a new phone uh, with Robin, who was uh, really vocal in his opinions about uh, the uh, the new phone. I, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a potential that that could be an entirely new journalistic product in its own right. But I'm pretty I, sure I if, I, so. if I broadcast it, I think it might compromise my ability to be taken as a credible journalist. So I would staying. just set up a, a Robin account on um, TikTok and see where it takes you. Mm. Maybe I'll share it with patrons. All right, everybody, thank you for listening and we'll see you in a week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.